0: Hi there, Matthew here. Before we get into this episode, I just wanted to let you know about an exciting offer we currently have at Burn Production Services. If you're an event organizer with an upcoming corporate conference, sales meeting, or experiential event, this one's for you. For a limited time, we're covering the shipping costs for your next event to help make your production a whole lot easier and more cost effective. So be sure to check us out at burnproductionservices.com and enjoy the benefits of this exclusive offer. Okay, let's get into the episode.
1: The first couple of months back in line events, I had terrible social anxiety. Being in large crowds, finding a way to communicate with people was hard because you really didn't do it in person for so long. Yes, you know, you may have Zoom calls and FaceTime and stuff, but it's just not the same as being in the company of somebody physically. And it was definitely a struggle for me to find how to engage in those social settings again. And I'm sure I'm not alone, but it took some time.
2: Welcome to Production Value Matters, the business event podcast, brought to you by Burn Production Services. Here, we explore the different ways business events can bring value to your organization, the latest technological advances in the event space, as well as providing you with actionable strategies to make a business event a success. Let's create an exceptional event experience.
0: Welcome to another episode of Production Value Matters, the business events podcast. Today, I'm joined by the fantastic Deanna Volmer, current director of events and customer experience at QuestX, where she's been leading the way in content-rich experiences for nearly two and a half years. She started out in meetings planning and worked her way to the tippy-top of the events world, and she's recently been advocating for event professionals' mental health. I'm very much looking forward to speaking with her today about her experiences with the good and the not-so-good. So welcome, Deanna.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Talk to me about your career so far and your motivations have changed in that time. Like, is it true that when you were younger, you wanted to be a CSI?
1: That is absolutely 100% true. Back when I was in high school, I really wanted to go into forensics and criminal psychology. I took a couple of classes on it, and I was going to SUNY Albany to pursue a degree in criminal justice. And then it was an FBLA meeting that I had. I think it was 11th grade or senior year. And the guidance counselor's daughter was there. And she had done the Walt Disney World internship in the hospitality industry. And at the time, I really didn't know what the hospitality industry was. So I kind of kept it in the back of my mind. And I knew one thing, for sure, that I never wanted to be a Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, number crunching kind of gal. So at the 11th hour, I pulled out of Sydney Albany and stayed home for the first year, just kind of doing liberal arts. And then I woke up one day in August and I told my parents, I'm switching schools and I'm declaring a major in hospitality. And I went and enrolled with a schedule all on the same day and here we are.
0: That's great. And so when you were a student, you studied also in Europe and Australia, what was that experience like?
1: Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to do to study abroad. So the first semester I did a seven country tour through Europe, focusing on food and beverage, culture, cuisine, and travel tourism. The following summer, I did the same curriculum, but in Australia and Fiji. And I feel like this industry isn't really one that you can learn from a textbook. It's best to learn kind of hands-on. And that was probably one of the greatest experiences ever. And it just taught me so much, not only about the industry, but just about culture and cultural differences and how great this world is. It's so big, yet so small at the same time. So it was fantastic.
0: So tell me how that experience has sort of changed your perspective now working in North America and through that education. Does it give you a different perspective on how events are produced here?
1: So again, been fortunate enough to plan events all over the world. And it's just so interesting in different countries how there's different there's cultural differences, number one. But even down to the menus and food beverages that you're planning, if you're in I've done a lot of work in China. When you're in China, you're not going to be serving the same as you would be in Germany, per se. And there are just other things that you need to kind of think about when planning events like that. Is it going to be done in English? Are you going to have simultaneous translation? Is it going to be solely in the language of the country that you're in? So there are things that you have to think about, whereas if in North America, you may not necessarily think about those things.
0: So in contrast to that, as you're bringing events from Europe, Asia, to North America or vice versa, do you find that there's a lot of lost in translation or friction that has to be overcome in trying to get those teams to know the differences?
1: i say there was, and I speak in past tense, because currently now I solely only plan in North America, which is a blessing and a curse, but in past experiences... It definitely was challenging. I mean, I was blessed to work with teams that I had in the UK and in mainland China, which definitely helped. But you have to also adapt to the time difference. You have to be respectful of their holidays and work around our own holiday schedules here, their schedules there. And the time difference was definitely probably one of the biggest challenges in terms of planning. Language barrier some of the places that we were doing work in. English is not their first language, so it's remembering to be patient with everybody and especially being a native New Yorker. I know that I do tend to talk very fast, which I'm trying to not do now. You have to make sure it's kind of be very clear in your communication, whether written in email or off on the phone. But yeah, it it was a challenge, but it was was a good challenge to me.
0: Great. And so... Let's just shift into what the last couple of years have been, and I think this will lead into our sort of broader discussion. But we're post-pandemic, and how do you think the events world has changed since then? And specifically, what do you think that says about the versatility of those of us who work in this industry? A good question.
1: I will say, fortunately enough, I was employed through the entire pandemic, which was, again, a massive hurricane. Because when everything, you know, the world kind of shut down and there are no live events, it was kind of this panic of what do we do now? And everyone was turning to virtual and trying to pump out as much virtual content as they could. And the organization I was with at the time kind of took a different approach, and they had a very robust webcast and webinar series that they had already been producing. So instead of pumping out every single live event that we had and turning it into a virtual event, they just built on an existing product, which was pretty cool. But as someone who was in the event space, it kind of left you in this hamster wheel of, well, where do I fit in there and and what am I doing? So again, it was a blessing to still have been employed, but then a curse at the same time because you weren't doing what you knew and loved. And there was so much unknown, not only in the event industry, but in every other industry out there as to when is this going to be over and what's going to happen. But then coming out of it, I mean, look at now virtual was a very large piece of business. It kind of kept a lot of organizations going. But as a result, I think people are now more than ever networking and bringing people together is probably like one of the number one focuses, at least in the work that I do. In the industry that I'm in, is people want, they want to meet face-to-face. They want to have those conversations versus being fatigue with a the thing. They want to get away from the computer and get out of the office for a couple of days and meet in person.
0: So it's interesting that you mentioned about everybody sort of shifting to the virtual, that your team was positioned to sort of make that transition. It sounds like a little bit easier because of that existing property. So is that an extra stressor that's adding to the industry to have to encourage the use of new technologies and immersive experiences in events post-pandemic?
1: I would say yes and no. I think it depends on your demographic and your audience. For the younger generations, I think it's a lot easier to adapt to new technologies. I know I'm someone who I like to consider myself tech savvy, and I like to try out all the new technologies and platforms out there. For people in older generations who are kind of used to having paper and taking notes, and are not as tech savvy, I think it definitely could be a challenge. And that's where you need to again be patient, <laughs> patient with that, and, and understand that things are not necessarily going to go as planned and. It's all about adapting and teaching people.
0: So, what do you say to those people that you run into in the events world who, and let's just call their attitude towards this technology, is a bit dated? How are you helping to bridge that gap? And specifically, I think it might be based on a little bit of fear, apprehension, and anxiety. I know for us,
1: even something as simple as launching an event app, it's over communication. It's over communication on how to. So we always make sure to provide a very expensive guide, a step guide with visuals on how to download the app, how to get access, how to set up your profile. One thing that we started doing for our events that we implemented this year was kind of doing like an attendee and or partner council. So we got all partners on a team call a week or two before the event, anything new at the event, and kind of talk through to what you expect and do kind of a demo of, okay, we're going to have an event app, here's how to download it, here's how to first, here's how to scan the QR code, here's how to find your camera on your phone to scan the QR code. So really being as detailed as possible and like I said, then over-communicating. And then when on site, kind of the same thing, always having people there to answer questions about the, that we may be using or if any other technology.
0: Yeah, I love that educational piece. And I think it's something that we, in the event industry, sometimes forget that we constantly do need to keep educating people into the value and into the usability of this new technology so that we can start to eliminate some of that apprehension. So at the beginning, we started talking about your involvement and your advocacy for mental health in the industry. And I was hoping that the first part of this conversation was sort of emphasizing a few things that are causing people anxiety and things. And so as a good segue into talking about what I think is a really important subject that has certainly come to the forefront with various organizations making waves about advocacy, but I'd like to talk to you about your personal experience. And so can you tell us why you think this is such an important issue? Well, I
1: think first off, again, coming out of the pandemic, there was so much unknown during it, I should say, where us, to me, industry, at least myself, you know, you're so passionate about what you do and you know what you know. And then when you have that kind of taken away from you, you're like, well, what do I do now? And I remember sitting there in the pandemic thinking about, well, if I were to have to switch careers, what would I do? And everything that I had was put out was somehow related to this industry. And it was kind of scary. And then kind of coming out of it, what was the event world going to look like when we came out of it? And then we were out of it. And it was taxing and tolling, I think, because of that fear of the unknown. And it took a toll, I'm sure, on a lot of people, including myself.
0: I'm glad you're sharing and telling us about those particular struggles for you personally. Was there a unique story you wanted to tell about your personal journey in dealing with mental health?
1: Absolutely. I feel that it was kind of a combination of a lot of things. Us as working professionals spend 80% of your time with your coworkers and your peers. So it's juggling work, it's juggling life and everything else that encompasses that. And it was hard to find that balance, especially coming out of COVID because I'm sure you lost your routine during that year or two. A lot of the things that you were used to doing, you probably weren't doing anymore. And getting back into it with tech. I know for me, I am a very social person. I'm definitely considered an extrovert. But the first couple of months back in line events, I had terrible social anxiety. Being in large crowds, finding a way to communicate with people was hard because you really didn't do it in person for so long. Yes, you know, you may have had Zoom calls and FaceTime and stuff, but it's just not the same as being in the company of somebody physically. And it was definitely a struggle for me to find how to engage in those social settings again. And I'm sure I'm not alone, but it took some time. And also, I found overstimulation was definitely something that had affected my mental health. Going into a a large reception or something like that, where there's lights and music and all these different conversations that are going on, and then not knowing how to really engage socially in conversation, all of that. Together, kind of, it definitely took a toll. I would say, I mean, burnout is definitely a real thing, and I don't just say in the professional space, but with all those other aspects of life that you have to take into account. We're human; we're not perfect, but as an event professional, I think strive for perfection. And I'm a firm believer that perfection actually doesn't exist because if perfection did exist, then
0: well, it'd be a movie, right?
1: Exactly my point. So we strive to perfection and we put so much pressure on ourselves, but for what reason? Now, I don't want to say what's the point, but again, we have to remember we're human. Humans make mistakes. Things may not necessarily go according to plan. And I think if we kind of remind ourselves of that, that things may go wrong, just it makes it easier to take that pressure off of yourself. So that's just a couple of things.
0: Hi there. Matthew here again great job making it to the middle of the episode. If you're enjoying what you're hearing right now, remember to give us a follow. And if you really like it, drop us a review as well. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I'd love to sort of contrast that with pre-pandemic. And I don't think that speaking about mental health issues was something that you would, most event professionals would feel comfortable talking about in a public space, maybe to friends, friends and family. And so, What do you think has motivated that shift into there's a lot more people being a lot more vocal and open about it? And what do you think is behind that?
1: I think what's behind it is that people are kind of realizing that, yeah, we have our job, but they shouldn't necessarily define who we are. And I think coming out of COVID, lots of individuals are realizing that we have to take care of ourselves in order to perform in our daily life. So performing in the workplace and outside of the workplace. Everyone wants to give their all and give 100%, but you can't give a 100% if you are not a 100%. I can speak to, you know, pre-pandemic, I was traveling probably 60 to 70% of the time. And I remember, I call it our fall gauntlet. It was the last fall gauntlet that I had done before COVID. It was in Hamburg, Shenzhen, Vegas, and Chicago in a span of like five weeks. And it's just go, go, go. I I remember, I think it was 36 out of 48 days I was gone. And during that time, you're out of your routine. You're not eating right. You're not sleeping. You're probably drinking. You're not working out. You're flying tens of thousands of miles. You're battling jet lag. You know, different climate. I came back and I would get sick after all of those trips. And I would be out for the count. But again, I felt married to the job where this is my job, I have to do it, and I didn't have my boundary. So I think coming out of COVID on the other end, having those boundaries now and being able to prioritize myself and my mental health and my physical health and well-being makes me a better person, a better planner, and a better contributor to the overall end goal.
0: Absolutely. I used to say that when the pandemic happened, everybody's worst fear came true. As an industry kept on motivating all of our actions, I think a lot through fear. Fear of we were gonna lose out, fear of missing out, fear of losing the gig or not getting the thing. And then when it all went away, you realize that fear. And I think a lot of people sort of woke up and said, you know what, I didn't die. My work went away, but I'm still here. My family's still here. We're all here together. And the world didn't implode. So I think that a lot of people had sort of awakening that happened and went, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to drive myself into the ground to be successful. And I think that's a really positive shift. And so I'm glad people are doing that. That being said, as an industry, are we still putting too much pressure on our workforce? And do you think that that's the case? And because we see reports of hospitality workers All the time, front of house being overworked and underpaid, living off tips, working themselves to the ground. Why do you think that the hospitality and events industries had still retained some of these bad habits?
1: I think it's just a cycle. I think it's just like a vicious cycle that needs to get broken. I think it's about education. We know what we know. And I think we're so used to functioning at very high, fast paces that you don't have time to Really be studying or learn about really what's going on. And again, it goes back to striving for perfection. And we push ourselves so hard at such a fast pace. But again, what's it all for? And you want what you do to be enjoyable, not something that you dread day in and day out. But I think as an industry, like you have said again, it was the FOMO, it was events are back, you know, industry events are back. Let me see how many industry events I can go to to see how many new contacts that I can make and make up for lost time. But is that really the answer? And I mean, I can say, you know, I've talked to people and, you know, read some of the articles and stuff out there that people are overworked. It's a thing. And, you know, especially with, you know, the the economy the way it is, are organizations making, they laying people off and piling the work on others? I mean, again, we're all human. But is it realistic?
0: Probably not. Right. And so what more can be done to improve the industry's mental health efforts?:
1: I think it's educating people and letting it be known that it's okay to talk about, and that it's okay to ask for help, especially as an individual, and breaking that stigma. It took me a long time to be comfortable with talking about it, but I find that talking about it is my way of helping people, even if it's just by listening. It's letting people know that they're not alone and they don't have to go through the struggle alone. So I really think it's kind of just forcing that message and really kind of, it shouldn't be stigmatized.
0: So how is it that you encourage open dialogue about mental health with your teens?
1: I think it's really important to be open and honest about it. I know for myself, taking mental health days is, is normal. I feel that pushing myself just it doesn't work for me anymore. And I make sure to keep those boundaries in place. So if I'm feeling off balance or if I just need to take a day, I have no shame in doing so. And I take that time for myself. I make it a priority to not check in. I make it a priority to kind of stay off my phone and to kind of just have a day for myself to rest, recharge, and just do things for me. And that could mean actually doing nothing. Or it could mean going for a walk, getting a workout in, calling a friend you haven't spoken to in a while, but just really focusing on myself because then when I take that time to rest and recharge, it only then makes me more productive moving forward. In the past, I would kind of just push through because I have a deadline. I have three more events coming up. I can't be out of the office. Then you get the anxiety of, oh, the emails I'm going to miss and the the calls I'm going to miss. Again, but at the end of the day, you have to focus and prioritize
0: you. Absolutely. I really like that idea of go take a walk or go work out. The way I've always put it is the separation of church and state. I had a few people reach out to me when they were starting to work from home because it was new to them. I've been doing it for years. And One of the biggest, easiest things that people could do was this separation of church and state. So go and put your office in a place that you can't see when you're done work at the end of the day. Don't make it your living room. Don't make it your bedroom. Don't make it at this. Because if those two spaces are mixed and you don't have the ability to sort of get up and get out of that space for those mental moments of, I just need a break. I need to separate myself here. It becomes very difficult. So I love that suggestion.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that really, really helped me also too was I worked from home, even pre-COVID, I would work from home a day or two a week and you would be traveling. So I was never really full-time in the office, but then you transition to work from home full-time and you're like, how do I do this? And as someone who lives in a one bedroom apartment, I can't necessarily separate church and state so much. But one thing that really, really helped was getting out of the space. So it's taking those walks during the day. It's going out and getting a workout in. Now, I think more than ever, it's not frowned upon to take a break during lunch, take a walk or go get a workout in, signing off actually at five o'clock or depending on where you are and what, uh, understanding that busy times and stuff, but really kind of sticking to those boundaries. I'm also a firm believer in, I'm a frequent coffee shop visitor. So I'll make it a point to work from a coffee shop at least a day a week. And I sometimes find I'm more productive in that type of setting than in my own space. Because I get very distracted being in my own space, whether what construction is going on outside, the laundry, the dishwasher, oh, I need to do this, oh, I have to do that, and it makes it harder. But if you can remind yourself to take those breaks, to take those walks, to go get that workout, on that is something that's helped me tremendously. Was putting in a routine in place, getting a workout in, taking those walks, just improves your overall well-being.
0: I do this to this day now, usually around noonish time. I do take a little bit of lunch, but I also allow myself to go and do a quick workout or walk the dogs or whatever it might be, if anything, to break up the day. And again, I like how the industry has shifted and the, even the client expectations has shifted over the last couple of years to go like, oh, they're walking their dog. Cool. We'll talk to them at 1.30. It's fine. And I think that's a great thing. So when somebody comes from the industry and says out loud, I'm struggling, What do you think we can say to them to be able to help them and be there for them?
1: Just remind them that they're not alone. Allowing them to just know that it's a safe space. Recently, actually, I was on another podcast earlier this year, and someone in the industry had sent me a personal note saying, I'm so thankful that you shared your story, because I think it's a reminder to people, especially in our industry, that they are not alone. That we're all human. Everyone has their struggles. Whether people choose to share it or not, it's a personal choice. But I found sharing it just kind of made me feel better. It kind of like took a little bit of weight off your shoulder. Again, it can definitely be a sensitive subject. But it's just reminding people that they're not alone. And then just recently, her and I ended up meeting in person. I felt so empowered by it that this individual trusted me enough. To kind of say, I'm struggling. You know, what did you do to kind of help yourself get through? You know, and I shared my own personal experience with her and kind of like what I did to help get through it. And one thing that I had said was, we're all traveling a lot, we're all on site at different events, we're flying, we're in different time zones and all that stuff. One thing that I try to do now when I travel is to be more mindful of what I'm eating and kind of stay away from these hotels the Making healthier choices. Prioritize my sleep, which people are like, how can you do that? Did I really need to have that nightcap? I'm going to go upstairs and try to get a couple of good solid hours of sleep. I'm going to get up in the morning and I try to get at least one day of a workout in when I'm traveling on event days. And it's hard, but that's where you kind of have to prioritize because I know that doing that for my mental health will then only help make me a better individual a better planner, and a better person in the industry.
0: That's amazing. We usually like to sort of wrap up these episodes with, let's get some practical tips into people's hands for what we talked about. But specifically in this, if anyone listening is now struggling themselves and want to find some help, do you have any resources or places that they can visit? Like, what would you encourage them to do?
1: For me personally, one thing that I did was I actually reached out to HR to see if there was any benefits that Questex offered in the mental health space. And sure enough, there were. And I took use of those resources for sure. And it's really, it's just kind of finding people that you're comfortable talking to. And I found in the very beginning that it was actually easier to talk to people that were more on the outside than actually on the inside. And it's really just kind of just understanding that, again, you're not struggling alone There are people there to support you. And sometimes talking about it does make it easier. In terms of resources, outside of benefits and stuff, I would just say talk about it. Asking for help is probably the best thing that you can do for yourself. And whether that be calling up a friend or going to speak to a therapist, you have to take the matter into your own hands. No one is going to help you if they don't know that you need help. So I think for me, the number one thing was asking for help. And then it kind of all evolved on its own.
0: That's great. Thank you very much for sharing, Deanna. So that's the end of our episode. Where can people find you if they would like to get in touch?
1: If anyone's listening, you can find me on LinkedIn, Deanna Vollmer. My name, shoot me a direct message and I'm happy to listen.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Deanna, for joining me on this podcast. And it was lovely talking to you.
2: Thank you. Production Value Matters, the business event podcast, is brought to you by Burn Production Services. To find out more about Burn Production Services and how putting on events can drive value for your business, visit burnproductionservices.com. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at Production Value Matters, thank you so much for listening.